Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. For the past few weeks, I've been encouraging you, pushing you a little bit to, to look at your spiritual life, to look at your relationship with Christ in two distinct ways. One is that every believer, everyone who has been born of the Spirit of God, is invited into a conversational relationship with God. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He didn't say, my sheep study the Bible. He said, my sheep hear my voice. And it, it results in a response to where they follow him, whatever he's asking of them. The second thing that we've been talking about is that it's not just for you to hear for you, but rather that the, the spirit with which you have been born again in Revelation 19.10 is the very spirit of prophecy, that we are called to be a prophetic community. We're called to be a prophetic people. That God, in terms of New Testament prophecy, wants to verbalize the expression of his thoughts, his vision for you, his, his, his will, his heart for you. He wants to verbalize that in such a way that if you are a spirit-equipped, a spirit-filled person, you will hear his words for other people, for other groups. You'll hear them in order to deliver them at the right time and in the right situations. This process of, of going not just from being a person in conversation with God, but also a person in mission with God is developmental. It doesn't start all at once. You don't start fully formed, but you have to start somewhere. You have to begin to, to say, Lord, I want to I hear your voice. Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to be used by your spirit. When I first started to do this, it was back in the 90s, and I, I made a commitment. I said, Lord, whatever you're asking me to do, I will do. And so I went to this national conference, and I made that commitment. I'm, whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to do. And so every time the altar was, was open, anytime someone gave an invitation for more, I went forward. It was really, that was easy. It was exciting. I got so much from that, but then the Lord started to speak to me during the offering. Now, I can remember back, this was in the 90s, but I can remember in my wallet, I had a $5 bill, I had a $20 bill, and I had a $100 bill. And the first offering came by, and the Lord said, give the $5. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> the next meeting, the Lord said, give the 20 a little less, thank you, Lord. <laughs> the last meeting, give the hundred. Oh, that can't be you, God. <laughs> I planned this for my trip back. I was, this is going to be my gas and my food. I was driving from Indianapolis to Atlanta, and I, I'm like, I'll have nothing. I won't have any money whatsoever. This can't be you, God. I kept the hundred dollars. So I'm driving back. I get to the gas station. I go in my pocket. No $100. And I heard the voice of the Lord said, I asked you to give it to me, so I took it. <laughs> but it was so interesting. It wasn't mean. It wasn't condemning. He said, I want you to remember this. You said you would do anything I asked, and you didn't. Here it is, 25 years later. I can still see it as clear as day. And see, he doesn't always ask the convenient thing. He doesn't always ask the easy thing. And he began to develop me. Within a year, I went back, same conference. Went back, and this time, somebody I didn't even know came up to me. And they had been promoting this mission trip, this evangelistic trip to Cali, Colombia. In the 90s, Cali, Colombia was one of the most dangerous places on earth assassinations, murders, all kind of things were taking place. And this guy came up to me and said, I didn't even know the guy. And he said, the Lord is telling me you're to go on that trip. And I thought, thanks. I'm not sure he's telling me because I'm scared. I'm afraid. 
And then I had said, anything you ask me to do, I will do. So I, I made the arrangements to go on the trip. I get, I get there, and I'm thinking, okay, Lord, this is going to be like Pentecost. Because I heard the Lord say, preach in Spanish and pray in Spanish. And I had not spoken Spanish for over 10 years. And so the Lord had said, preach in Spanish, pray in Spanish. I thought, the gift is just going to come. <laughs> and so my first night there, I'm standing in front of like a thousand people preaching in Spanish, and I can't remember the words in Spanish or English. And it was just so awful, and I was embarrassed, and I felt so stupid and everything. And the Lord said, stay with it, stay with it. And so for three nights, horrible, awful Spanish coming out of my mouth and, and just, just really struggling. But when I gave invitations over, over the three nights, a thousand people dedicated their lives to Christ Amen. with my horrible Spanish. And then the Lord said, okay, now I'm going to give it to you. And so immediately I started speaking Spanish I had not studied and then I could understand Spanish that I didn't have any reason to know. And one, and one night, I prayed for over 300 people individually. I heard everything they were saying. I heard everything they weren't saying. Every time somebody was sick, I would feel it in my body. I would pray for it, and they would be immediately healed. Every time there was an issue of de uh, demonic, they were delivered Numerous people got saved, so radically saved. It was so amazing to watch. I've never had a night like it since. I never had had one before. And yet in that night, all I was seeing was that the Lord's compassion was meeting the needs of his people, and he was using me as his instrument. I've never seen anything like that. Every single person was filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. It was one of the most incredible things. And all I was doing was hearing what he was saying, saying what he said, even being able to say it in another language, being able to hear it in another language, and then walking in what he was giving me. All I'm asking of each of you is to recognize that the way that, that God throughout the Bible has worked and the way he works in individual lives is when God moves on people, they speak for him. When God moves on people, they work and they do things for him that they cannot do themselves. Amen. And I believe that your presence here today is not an accident. I believe it's an intersection where God's spirit is saying it is a new day. It is a new season for you. And he wants you to move into greater anointing than you've ever seen in your life. Amen. Now, last week... I went over the fact that you have to understand that New Testament, move of the Spirit, prophetic, New Testament, hearing from God, is very, very clear. You have to test what you're hearing. I gave you five tests. You can get them online. You can look at them. We have the notes. We have everything there. You need to test, particularly the fruit of what you're saying will often tell if it was God or if it was the pizza you ate the night before. Okay. Here, I say pizza, but what I really mean is you and I can mistake our own adrenaline for a move of the Spirit. We can mistake our anxiety. We can mistake a whole lot of things. And so part of not only testing, but this idea of, I'm calling it top prophetic, is that there's a threefold aspect of really effective prophetic work. The one is you test it, but the other is you obey it. That you're acting out of obedience, you're obeying what you're hearing. Because without obedience, it's hollow, it's counterfeit. Uh, again, I just say to you, there are a lot of people who say they speak for God, but their lives are such a mess, they need to clean up their own house first. I, if you're going to tell me how to get my life together, your life better be pretty much together. Or else I'm like, why are you talking to me? I mean, very few of us find much genuineness in do as I say, but not as I do. Okay, so, so there, there has to be this sense that, that the person who is speaking for God is also understanding how to obey God. And then the, the other thing is this. 
real prophetic will always produce a deep prayer life. There, there is no way for anyone to exist prophetically without having a deep sense of prayer and intercession. We are not Old Testament prophets. You are not a lone ranger. You're not living out, living off locusts and honey and, and wearing a camel, you know, you can have a camel hair sport coat, but you, you know, not a loincloth and stuff and living out in the wild. New Testament prophetic is always communal. We get pieces of the vision. We get pieces of the revelation. And as we share it together, God's fullness of his vision comes. The truth is God's fullness of vision never anymore comes to a single person. He, he, he works body. He works community. And, and everybody has a piece to play. And, if, and if, if your thought is prophetic isolates, no, prophetic unifies. It unifies because it strengthens, it comforts, and, and it builds up the body of Christ in such a way as nothing else can. Like I could say a good word to you and it would be encouraging to you, but if the word I say to you is from the Holy Spirit, it does more than encourage. It, it destroys strongholds and it builds you up as a divine stronghold. Amen. There's a difference in a good word from a friend and a good word from heaven. I want the good words from heaven to flow from my mouth. I want to truly edify the body, truly strengthen. So therefore, I'm calling to you to a level of obedience, maybe like you've never had before in your life. Look, the obedience that God is looking for is not a bunch of rule keepers or scorekeepers. The obedience that God is looking for, he has clearly expressed in his word. Now, now, I really want to qualify this. I'm hoping you're listening to me. Obedience doesn't qualify you for the gifts. It wouldn't be a gift if there has to be a qualifier. A gift is given to those who don't earn it. Okay? So it's a gift. It's not a salary. It's a gift. So the obedience that was necessary to release the gifts is Jesus' obedience. Jesus has fully paid the price for our disobedience so that actually his obedience is now to your account. So you have been qualified in every way to receive every gift that the Spirit has for you. But what obedience does is it gives you capacity to operate in his gifts. Without obedience, you're not at the right place. Without obedience, you're not at the right time. Without obedience, you're not able to have the skill to use what he's given you in a way that will truly strengthen, encourage, and comfort the body. Even, even those that try to correct people but aren't doing it in the spirit are not correcting to build up. They're correcting to destroy. And so what we need is we need men and women and boys and girls who will begin to understand what real obedience is that begins to give you the capacity to operate fully in the gifts. And one of the best places where you see the heart of God for his people is in Jeremiah 29. Here God says to a group of people who have not been listening to him for over a hundred years. When they're finally, this is when they are finally overrun by the Babylonians Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed Jerusalem. They are being transported from, uh, from Judah uh, to Babylon. And he says to them these words at their darkest moment. He says, call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. In other words, you may find this a little shocking, but there are prayers God doesn't listen to. There are prayers that do not reach above the ceiling. There, there are certain there are certain issues, there are certain prerequisites that have to be in place for the prayers you pray to be effective. I don't know about you, but I don't want to pray ineffective prayers. I want to pray prayers that get really big answers. Because when I pray, I'm praying about things that matter to me. And so I want... Am I the only one tracking with this today? So here's how he explains what it means to call upon him. This is, this is what you would call a kind of Hebrew parallelism. He tells you one, and then he describes what it means in the next one. So he says, call on me, come and pray to me. But what is, he, what is he saying? He says, when you're praying, you're supposed to be seeking me. 
and find me. In other words, you seek me until you find me. And the only way you can do that, he says, is if you search for me with all your heart. Can you understand? The obedience that God is looking for is a heart that is wholly, singularly passionate about God as your treasure, as your ultimate. This is what he's asking for. Not half-hearted, not dispassionate, but a passionate pursuit of God. And what does that look like? Well, it means that when you begin to pray, you're not focused on the problem. You're not focused on the person who's hurting you. You're not focused on the situation. You're not focusing on the pain. You see, all those things will speak to you, but they won't speak truth to you. You see, if you see God through your circumstances, your circumstances lie about God. But if you see your circumstances through a laser light focus on God, God will never lie to you. And he can show you the end from the beginning. All things, he says, in all things, God works together for good. See, the problem with many of us is we live our lives based on what we see. But if you are spirit filled, you live your life based on what you believe. And when you base your life on what you believe, what you believe will eventually be seen. But it is not always apparent in the moment. All right, I cannot say these things much better than I'm saying them right now. And you're sitting there. You're making me work way too hard this morning. Are you hearing me, though? See, the problem with so many of us is church basically told us, here's what you do and here's what you don't do. And the problem with rules is you can hide your heart behind the rules. You can keep the rules and still have a hardened heart. You can keep the rules and not do certain things and still be cynical and skeptical. You see, you cannot serve God, love God, hear from God with your whole heart and be a skeptic. doesn't mean you don't sometimes wrestle with doubt. Obviously, you wrestle with doubt, but doubt is not unbelief. Doubt is processing What's going on? So a passionate pursuit. Notice what he says, search for me. When someone says search for something, they're not dispassionate. They're passionate. You know, when I'm looking for just that right shoe or sock or whatever, I, I, I don't know about you, but I can't give up till I have it. If I don't find it, I'm so upset for the rest of the day. I should have found that thing. You know, searching for something is a passionate pursuit. Here's the interesting thing. When you finally decide that you're passionate about God, you'll realize he's been passionate about you all along. Hallelujah. When you're pursuing him, you're not, you're not creating a relationship. He's been pursuing you, but you don't really see it till you start pursuing him. But a lot of people will tell me, oh, you shouldn't be so fanatic. You shouldn't be so passionate. I remember one time I was leading a pastor's prayer meeting, and the pastor started started crying, they started weeping, they got on their faces, they exposed their sin. This went on for two days, and one pastor stood up and said, I don't think this is necessary. I, I read my Bible every day, I pray every day, I write my prayer list, I do this and that. Well, a few months later, we find out that his passion has been going to an affair. He leaves his wife, leaves his church, and goes with his mistress. You see, we're all passionate about something. We're all pursuing something passionately. The problem is that if God is not the pursuit of your passion, what you're passionate about will never return it to you. You will have passion for it, but it can never match the passion you have. As much as you love the Yankees, they don't love you. And the Jets have already crushed us. After one game, right? I mean, come on. We, we get passionate about things that do not adore us back. You see, when you worship God, when you say, God, you have my ultimate and you are my treasure, he is saying, you've always been my treasure. Are you hearing me? So what happens is God 
knows that getting your attention is not an easy thing. Getting your passion diverted to the right thing often means he has to touch the thing you're passionate about. So many of us have made good things ultimate things. We've made our family, we've made our, our finances, we've made our careers, we've made relationships, we've made all kind of things that are good things, ultimate things. Really, the hardest idols to break are the good idols. And so God touches those places because it gets our attention. And plus, he has reserved the right to destroy any idol in your life. I will have no other gods before me, he says. I am a jealous God, and he does not want something else to have the place that only he should have. And so what happens is you begin to be passionate in prayer for the thing you're passionate about. Could be your family, your health, could be any of those things. Oh God, you must do this. Oh God, you must do that. And what God does in that is he says, look, you're not going to win this battle if that's your idol. Because he will not give success to your idol. But what he shows by putting these things that you go, this really matters to me. I need to win here. I need to overcome here. By putting those matters in your life, he shows where your passion must go. And if I can illustrate it for you, I illustrate it in the way that Lisa has completely destroyed my TV life. <laughs> now I turn to HGTV instead of ESPN. And I watch every fix-it show, you know, flip-flop and all those uh, <laughs> kinds of stuff, you know. I watch all these things, and immediately when they're showing the run-down, horrible house that needs to be fixed up, I go, you got to take down that wall. <laughs> we got to get some open concept in here. <laughs> but here's what the Lord has taught me is your blessing is always behind a wall. What you need, what you really want is open concept, not an open kitchen and dining room and living room. You want an open heaven. You want it to be where nothing is blocking the flow of all the blessings and resources that God has for you. He has a storehouse in heaven already laid up for you to get to your destiny, but he wants you to take a sledgehammer to the wall that's keeping you from delivery. And so many of us, what he does is he says, let me teach you in this tough area of your life how to become an overcomer, how to say, I'm not going to give up until I win. And sometimes it can be a prodigal child, or it can be a boss who's just a terrible irritant, or it can be a health issue. Let me tell you, when Lisa found out she had, had cancer, I was going for open concept. I went after that wall with my sledgehammer, and I invited everybody in my life, and even people who weren't in my life, to take the sledgehammer to the same wall. And I didn't want anybody with fly swatters. And I didn't want them hitting all over the house. I wanted to hit right at the cancer place. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, I, I hear people praying. I'm like, your prayers suck. I don't want to pray with you. Man, there are so many prayer meetings I don't want to be at because they're horrible. They're horrible because they don't know how to take down the wall. If you don't know how to, if you're praying all over the world and everything, you're praying for your aunts, sons, friends, goiter or something, you know, or whatever it is. I don't care. I have no passion for that. You know, if you think I'm just praying because I have to pray, I'd, I'd like to punch you in Jesus' name. <laughs> that is not winning, friends. That's wasting. And somebody says, well, they're praying. I don't care. That's not prayer. And it's not prayer to God. And it's not prayer that God listens to. And if he's not listening to it, it's not prayer. Come on, I know. At 10 o'clock, I get really edgy. I don't know why that is. It could be my sugar's low or something. I'm not sure, but are you guys hearing me on this? See, there is so many blessings waiting for you. There's every resource to get you to the place that God intends for you. But he says, I'm not going to take up the sledgehammer for you. I gave the sledgehammer to you. 
And it's your passion. It's your pursuit. It's your wholeness of heart. And once you get one victory in God's faithfulness, it becomes a foundation for all the future grace that he has for you. Well, I want to show you what it looks like to begin to make a rock-solid commitment that I will pursue you, God, with my whole heart. And so what I did is I took some I statements. Every one of these can be your way of, of saying to your own heart, this is who I am when I'm seeking the victory. This is who I am in the dark nights. This is who I am when I need to see answers. And I, I'll read it first, and then I'm going to get you to see if you'll also proclaim this as your heart's desire. This is my heart's desire. I seek direction through God's voice as I search for answers to release the victory. Notice, I already believe for the victory. I seek power through His Spirit as I press forward with faith, hope, and love. Do you understand? Many of us pray not in faith, hope, and love. We pray in anxiety, anger, and depression. You see, if I'm praying and I have already believe it's not going to happen, then I have destroyed my prayer before I start. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And you cannot have faith if you do not have hope. Hope is the certainty that God's promises are yes and amen, that on the other side of the wall is everything He promised. You just have to break through. Man, I see so many people who say, I have faith, but they have no hope. You know what? I'm not talking about clinical or chemical depression. I'm talking about being depressed. Being depressed is despair. It's saying my happiness is hopeless. How can that be true when the very spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that indwells you? In other words, you're resisting his spirit and you're receiving a spirit of hopelessness. Which one of those loves you? Which one of those died for you? I guarantee you the spirit of hopelessness does not die for any of us or care for any of us. And then love. Man, without understanding that as you're going through whatever you're going through, you are loved. You will be tossed to and fro like a double-minded person who is unstable in all his ways and can expect nothing from God. Do you understand these words of Scripture? They apply to these situations. You have to begin to bring his word into your life in such a way that you're living not according to whatever feeling you feel today, but according to the truth of his word, which if you win the battle for your mind, your feelings will be healed. Look, you're, you may not like this, but you no longer belong to yourself if you belong to God. The only reason you're alive is to advance his kingdom. Now, this is an interesting thing to me. If you pursue happiness, you'll never get it. Anybody that goes directly at happiness never gets happiness. But if you pursue his kingdom, you get the kingdom and you get the happiness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So by pursuing happiness, you'll never find it. Sometimes I want to cite parents for child abuse when they say, I just want my child to be happy. You moron. Are you kidding me? If that's your goal, I want my child to be honest. That ain't going to make them happy. I want them to be noble. That means they're going to have to learn to sacrifice. I want my child to do what God is calling them to do, even if their entire school is doing something else. That's not going to make them happy. That's going to make them lonely. Gosh, you guys bring out the worst in me. Are you hearing me, though? If we, if we end up compromising with the idea of our culture that you're nothing but an accident, that this is all that there is, then we will believe that pleasure and happiness is the ultimate goal of human existence. 
But if we are not accidents, but we're actually born again of the Spirit of God who has good works prepared for us beforehand for us to walk in it, then we have to live by what we believe, not by what we see. And then what we, what we believe will be seen because God is faithful and he will always be true to his word and his promises. <laughs> so here's the thing. If I'm going to be a person who says, God, my purpose is to advance your kingdom. And here's, here's what I mean by that. His kingdom has come into the heart of every believer. In other words, inside of you is the truth of heaven right here on earth. And your purpose is to make everywhere you are a little bit more like heaven. To make the things that are true of heaven here on earth. Jesus said, pray, the Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the job or the mission is to bring heaven to invade earth. You can't do that personally. You can only do that supernaturally. You can only do that as the Spirit is beginning to flow. So here are these statements that I believe that are wholehearted statements of searching and seeking after God. The first is this. In whatever circumstance you find yourself, you always see him at your right hand. In Psalm 16:8, David says, and then it's repeated again in Acts 2, Peter says that, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Now, I've, this is the third time I've used this passage, and every time I do, I immediately have a vision of Jesus at my right hand. I almost don't want to look. It's so exciting. I'm almost forgetting you're here because he's here. But you see, he doesn't, he doesn't preclude or exclude you from trouble. He says, when you're in trouble, I'm at your right hand, and because I'm at your right hand, you are not shaken. But you have to see him there. You have to say, that's what the Bible says, that's where he is. I set him before me and he is at my right hand. And then, I don't know enough, you don't know enough, so we ask for revelation and then we ask for him to flow, to bubble up in us, to spring up in us, so that we're not walking in our own experience, we're walking in the knowledge of God. Look, right now, the river of heaven is flowing in here. Because you're here. Jesus said, my father is always at work. Jesus said, I too am working. The river is always flowing with all of God's promises and all God's presence and all of his power. But you have to tune into it, which means you have to tune out some of the other noises so you can tune into the river. See, if you're tuned into your pain, you're going to miss the river. If you're tuned into how bad life is for you, you'll miss the river. If you're tuned in to how betraying and hurtful people are, you'll miss the river. Skeptics, critics do not get the river. Only those who begin to say, there's a river that flows from heaven and it flows right through my heart. I honor his voice. I began to realize that he's coming to me in flowing thoughts. He's coming to me in pictures, visions, different ways that he wants me to hear him. And then... What I do is I accept in faith that these things are flowing in me. See, you could you spend the rest of your life saying, you know, God never speaks to me. Now, it's, it's a funny thing. I meet people sometimes who are all too quick to say, thus saith the Lord. And I'm like, no, nope, he didn't say that. <laughs> so those are the ones who need to go back to last week, listen to that message five, six times, and get the test fully in their head before they speak again. I mean, there are some who will just speak for God. I have a word from you from the Lord. I, I feel like saying I have a fist for you from the Lord. Because they don't, they don't measure their words. They don't think through it. But the majority of you, the majority of you, though, have words and you don't believe they're from the Lord. The majority of you do not have that heartfelt obedience that says, if you're speaking to me, you can speak through me. And so you keep these treasures to yourself. I, I'm going to run out of time soon here, but I want to I make an illustration of this. I do not believe that I've ever had the full vision or revelation of what God wants to do in this church. And when I came to this church, what I said is, we're going to pray and we're going to pray together and we're going to hear from God together. 
So every board meeting or every staff meeting, I, I, I run it differently than other people do because efficiency is not the most important thing to me. Hearing from God is the most important thing to me. And so what I've often found is that there are individuals in the board meeting or in our staff meeting or in leadership meetings who are quiet individuals who will not tell you what God's saying to them. And so what I do is after we've prayed or after we've talked, I, I, I do a thing called debriefing. It's very simple. And I say, what did you hear from God? Because sometimes what you hear, you don't know how to pray it, but you heard it. And what's happened is these quiet individuals, introverted, who do not speak up, often have had the key to our victory. But if I had just pressed on with only the ones who had boldness, I would not have heard the key revelation pieces. So even the person who sometimes seems negative has often been a voice from the Lord saying, you did not go deep enough, you were not willing to go far enough, and this person I have put there a little bit in your way so that you have to go deeper. So here's what I'd like to do. We got more, so I'm going to talk fast, all right? But we got more, but I'd like you to make this commitment with your heart today. Would you say these words if, if they mean something to you? Would you say these with me? I seek, come on, I seek direction through God's voice as I search for answers to release the victory. I seek power through His Spirit as I press forward with faith, hope, and love. Now, go to the next. I see Him at my right hand. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I ask for revelation, anointing, and power to flow. I tune to His river that flows within. I honor His voice which comes as flowing thoughts and His visions which come as flowing pictures. I accept in faith that these things are flowing within me. Would you do something for me? Would you just put your hand on your heart for a moment? Just put your hand. Would you say this with me? I accept, I accept in, faith in faith that these things, that these things are, flowing within me. are flowing within me. Come on, let that come in. Don't miss today. God called you here for this. He wants to flow in you. All right. All right, I got more, so you got to stay with me. So not only obeying, but praying. Look, intercession is and always has been one of the great marks of, of the ministry of Jesus. You know, some people say to me, you guys pray, I'm going to do. But the Lord himself, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is committed to intercession. Look at his ministry. Isaiah said, I will divide him a portion with the great, and you shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he, speaking of Jesus, poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So he does four things here. Look, he poured out his soul unto death. The soul is in the blood. He gave himself and his blood for you and me. He was numbered with the transgressors. In other words, he who knew no sin was willing to become sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. He bore the sin of many. He became the sin offering. He was the one through whom God the Father could say, it is paid, the debt is paid. But then notice what it says. He makes intercession. Even on the cross, he intercedes for those who are killing him. And he says, Father, forgive them. In other words, he's saying, let the judgment that is due to them, let it come on me. Hebrews 7 speaks of Jesus after his death, resurrection, and ascension. And Jesus is called our high priest at God's right hand. And because he has this unchangeable priesthood, one that never passes from him, Hebrews says, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Think about this with me. Jesus spent 30 years in his family, three and a half years in a very dramatic public ministry, but for nearly 2,000 years, Jesus has been praying, interceding. And you say, if you say to me, prayer is the last resort, Jesus says, prayer is how I rule the world. Prayer is how I advance the kingdom. The Son of God 
is trying to invite you into a prayer life that already exists. You don't have to create it. You just have to align yourself to what he's already praying. You understand everything he prays is yes and amen. The Father always gives to him what he's praying. And those who have been great who went before us were always prayer warriors. Those who were the greatest were the closest in heart to God. There's an intimacy that comes when you begin to say, before I do, I will hear. Before I speak, I will hear. I will do. Here's this, this simple truth. When the Spirit moves, the church speaks. When the Spirit moves, the church acts. But we shouldn't move without, we shouldn't move without Him moving, without Him speaking. So I'm going to ask you today, as I asked you to make that commitment to how you would walk in wholehearted obedience, I want to ask you to be obedient in your prayer life. There's four things that I'd like you to commit to today. The first is this. You cannot pray if you think God is a moving target. If you pray, oh God, if you were good, this wouldn't happen to me. God, if you love me, none of these things would happen. Then you are saying that the ground that you're trying to pray from is unsettled, without foundation. See, the foundation of every prayer is God is good. Even when life is bad, God is good. The foundation of every prayer isn't God if you love me, it is God you do love me. And because you love me, I love you. And you are working all things together for good in my life because I love you and I'm called according to your purposes. So you're not defeated before you pray because the enemy has been able to accuse God to your own heart. There has to be that commitment. The other thing is this. Many of us, when we pray, we are showing that our deepest concern is our own comfort. Our deepest concern is our own pleasure, our own happiness. You, I want you to understand something. Until you realize the only thing that matters is the glory of God, your prayers will be misaligned. Let me give you a silly illustration. I love coffee. It's a gift from God. I love Colombian coffee. I get it sometimes straight from Colombia, and it is wonderful. It's amazing. So I used to go down to Colombia. They'd give me packages of coffee. I got down to my last package on a Sunday morning, and I put it in thinking, I'm going to have this black gold here, you know? It's going to be awesome. But I misaligned the carafe with the coffee maker. I came downstairs, and the last of my precious Colombian coffee was all over the counter everywhere. I started licking it up. You know? <laughs> and I heard the Lord say, this is what a misaligned life looks like. There's treasure. There's desired, you know, blessings. There's all this stuff, but the carafe is off, so everything's spilling out. See, when you're not aligned to the glory of God and say, Lord, I live for your glory and your glory only, you're going to be misaligned. But also this, hear me. God can do anything through you if you give him all the glory. Here's the, the last two. You've got to recognize you do not have anybody between you and God except Jesus. One brother came to me afterwards and said, for the first time in my life, I'm starting to believe I am intimate with God. Before now, I have believed there was a bureaucracy that I had to go through the priest, I had to go through the church, I had to go through pastors, I had to go through all of these things to get to God. And here is what happens when you really realize that God wants to be your intimate. You don't need any other middleman. You're intimate with God. Listen what Jesus said. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Not for the bureaucracy, for his friends. Jesus, yes, he died for your sins. Of course he did, but not because you're a sinner, but because he's your friend. And then the last thing is this. This commitment when you start to pray is, you can't pray little prayers, friends. There needs to be a holy boldness. Do you know Jesus paid everything to give you open concept? 
He tore down the veil between you and the most holy place. You are to come to the king. Great requests should you bring. There is nothing that you should be holding back from him. You know, and the great thing is he's a good father and he knows when to say no. But he loves to say yes. Let me illustrate this and then I'll, I'll finish. What we do is we get fixated on the little. Not realizing that God wants us to do is see the big and the bold. So we had a, a leader come into place in a district where I was. And the leader experienced what you do when you step into a new level. He was tested, he was contested, he was protested. But one of the things that happened is that his, his adult children started getting sick. And so everybody was filled with fright. Everybody was filled with all this anxiety. The, the leaders being attacked, his children are getting sick. And so all the energy of the entire district went to praying for the, these these adult children to get well. And it all looks really good. It's like, oh, we're so compassionate. No, we're idiots. You see, the enemy has now diverted all our resources from advancing the kingdom of God to weeping and wailing over sickness. You understand, if the kingdom comes, sickness is kicked out. But instead, we go, oh God, please save these children. Oh God, please get this illness. And, and now we don't believe Him for, for healing anyway. And we're stuck with unbelief. And the whole district was paralyzed because they're like, is he going to be okay? Is his family going to be okay? And so I, I am a weird person, I admit. I said, look, this is God saying we got to pray bigger, not smaller. This is God saying the enemy sees the danger. He's found a place of access. Now we need to step up, stand up, and say, let's pray boldly for the advance of the kingdom of God like never before and through this man's life. Make the enemy more afraid of him than he is of the enemy. They did not clap. They looked at me as some of you are looking right now and said, you're crazy. Why would I pray like that? Because that's what God is asking. He's asking for boldness. You know, what happens with you and me is we look at things and go, I've got to fixate on this boss. Well, maybe God's using the boss to tell you it's time for you to be the boss or you to start your own company. Or maybe he's saying, ask bigger than just, you know, smite thou this boss kind of prayer. <laughs> Or maybe, you know, you're looking at the loneliness in your life and you're no longer believing that, that God can provide a mate for you or whatever it is. But he's saying to you, boldly ask. Ask big. Don't just settle for something small. Ask for the whole thing. Because nothing is impossible for God. And the very same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and gave Jesus His Spirit-filled ministry is the spirit that is leading you to pray in every one of your lives. I think it's time for you to stop having these tiny little prayers. And it's time to get bold. And you have a father who can say no. You see, his yes would not matter if he can't say no. But because he can say no, you can trust him. You can trust him because look, he's always holy, he's always good, he's always loving. Now will you stand with me? All right. I pushed you today. Are you hearing me? Look, I'm, I'm telling you. Everything that I've shared with you took 25 years for it to cultivate in me. So for me, it's a pearl that I'm giving to you. I almost don't want sometimes to give you the pearls because I don't know what you're going to do with them. And because I get very emotional about them. So I, if I was too emotional today... I sort of apologize and I sort of don't, all right? Because I'm also protective of this truth. Because I, I can tell you, it's not something you play with, but it's something that's so precious. Fullness comes as you're willing to be in the mission with Jesus. Fullness comes. 
as you're willing to say, these things flow in me just like they did in every other era, in every generation. Because you have the same spirit that Jesus did his ministry in. So here's what I'd like you to do. Would you, would you make this a spiritual marker today? Um, this room is filled with spiritual markers. God has honored the spiritual markers in this room. I've seen for the last almost 16 years now. Would you make a spiritual marker in this room that you are not going to doubt the goodness of God ever again? See, nobody can make you decide that but you. But it's already true. Your faith just embraces it. But would you put a spiritual marker that every time you pray, you're already praying knowing he is good. Now, would you also put a spiritual marker that you're not going to question his love for you anymore? You see, you can't go any higher than how confident you are in his love for you. And so I'm asking you today to put a spiritual marker on the ground, like stake the ground right here and say, I will not turn back from knowing that God is good, and I will not turn back from knowing that he loves me. So you see, an entire part of cynicism, skepticism, unbelief is gone when you say he is good and he loves me. Now, the other thing I'd like you to do is I want you to understand God is touching areas of your life so that he can get you to pursue him passionately. But if it's something in your life that's not for his glory, you need to let him burn it up. If it's misaligned, it is taking your investment, your passion, and diverting it to something that can't give you the passion back. This needs to be a day you align your life to the glory of God. He can do anything through any man, woman, child, whoever it is. He can do anything through you if you will give all glory to him. Nothing is impossible for God. And just establish this day. You are his intimate. I love it that I get to be in your life. I want to be in your life, but I am not the mediator between you and God. I am not your priest. Sometimes people call me Father Mike and then they find out I have Pastor Lisa and they're a little upset. Because guess what? We are all priests. We are a royal priesthood. Every believer is a priest. You don't need a priest. You have the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no bureaucracy between you and the Father. You are his intimate. You are his friend. Would you put a marker in the ground? There are things right now that are triggering you, but God is saying, pray boldly. Pray bigger. We are people for, with whom and in whom nothing is impossible. New positions, new jobs, new businesses, school, different, everything where God has placed you, he wants you to pray boldly. Do not get fixated on the distractions. Hear the vision. Proclaim it loudly. Peter said he's poured out his spirit for prophecy on all of us. Do not waste it. Would you make that commitment today? He is good. You are loved. You're his intimate. You exist for his glory. And you're going to pray boldly. Big, big request. Big request. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.